Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, I'm Mina Razuki, standing in for Tom Gibbs, who's still sleeping after the Super Bowl. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Jose Mourinho gets the better of Pep Guardiola once again. But was this a Mourinho masterclass or a missed opportunity for Manchester City? Either way, it's good news for Liverpool, who now set a remarkable 22 points clear. Elsewhere, we take a look over the teams in the relegation battle and assess a quite depressing transfer deadline day. Plus, teenagers tearing it up across the continent and Danny Rose's chippy response to moving to the northeast. Welcome, welcome. It, it was obviously the Super Bowl, which means there is no Tom Gibbs. And I did stay up to watch it because I absolutely love it. Since all three of you, I, I assume no one bothered staying up. No? How come you can do the pod and you watched it and Tom can't? Um, he, he goes hard. I think. Yeah, I think well, so. Well, what's he done he's that you haven't done? Maybe because like he's, I don't know. I mean, maybe Slaughter him. You're, you look great. You've, you've still come in. You're a, you're a soldier. You. Tom's it, not. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is that Tom does that I don't, but that was the voice of Matt Law. Hello, Matt. How Hi. are you? Yeah, good, thanks. So you're all preppy and uh, awake then this morning? I'm not prepped. I am awake, but I have a banana and a coffee oh, and sh- I'll wing it. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, the, I do need a wee as subscribe well. Subscribe to The Telegraph today. <laughs> for, <laughs> this, is, this is just like pulsating stuff. We also have JJ Bull in the house. How wow are you, JJ? I'm really good. I got in from Aberdeen this morning at about 3 a.m. You know, for someone who in the enjoys... office at 8. Wow. Yeah. World's well, smallest violin. I mean, if you were quiet. here at 3, like... I just feel like you should watch the Super Bowl, right? Because if you love tactics. But I'm not American and I don't watch the NFL. Right. The other person here, Sam Dean. How are you, love? Uh, I've slept pretty well. <laughs> Did you? I had a day off yesterday. That's um, good. So all of the complaints that other people have got, I do not share. You've got prep too. I've also got prep. I've got some stats. I'm gonna, got, I like to deliver some stats. Got Matt, with your little prep. banana open and your coffee, I mean, it's just, just the most unprofessional thing on the planet. But let's start off, shall we? Because there, there was an exciting game yesterday. Mm. <laughs> Matt, don't worry. Even at your most unprofessional, you're still the best voice. Um, you were at the game. <laughs> Check this out. I'm so unprofessional, I've got a mouthful of banana. Yeah, yeah I was at the game. How was it? This is a weird podcast so far. <laughs> <laughs> a really weird game. Well, it's a weird game as well, so that's a lovely link. Really weird game. Was it? Was it? Like they got, the Tottenham got battered in the first half. 
didn't have a shot until they scored. Finished up with three shots and two goals. Manchester City had about 18 shots. So this was a very Mourinho-like game then. It kind of was, yeah. I, I, I didn't think it was like fell into the Mourinho masterclass because they did get lucky. I mean, they did. They City Were they missed. Sending a, off. They got lucky. They got lucky in that City missed a penalty. They got lucky in that I thought the second VAR on Raheem Sterling was another penalty. Uh, oh, you th- did? Yeah, I did. Ah. Um, they let's, got. Let's they, save VAR chat. Yeah, 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 for sure. And um, they got lucky that um, that yeah, City had a player sent off when they were all over them, and they just couldn't. The, the, both the finishing and the final walls were City. It just it just wouldn't happen for them. But you know. All power to, to Tottenham and Mourinho. It's a massive result for them. And, and that was probably the only way they were going to win. You know, sit deep, hope that City had an off day and that some luck went against them and take advantage of it. And they did. I mean, Ber- I'm going to call him Bergervan for the season. Is that all right? Berg, that, I like Bergwidgen. Well, I'm going Bergervan. <laughs> I like so Bergwidgen too. <laughs> Bergervan, brilliant, brilliant finish. And Son, mm. brilliant finish. Brilliant control though as well with yeah. the chest and everything. Tell me, JJ, was it a defensive masterclass or do you, like Matt, agree that it was uh, not that? I, I, I agree with everything Matt has said. There's not, I mean, there's no, nothing really that Mourinho did with his setup for his team that Sean Dyche didn't for Burnley against Arsenal. Same thing, you sit in a block and you try and counter, you gain territory and then use set pieces to try and get what you can. Is this your way of moving on to the next game? No, not at all. Right, okay. but, uh, but then I, I don't think Guardiola did anything wrong either. Like it, it just sometimes you don't just because you've you've lost the game doesn't mean you've necessarily done something wrong. I think that there is a few pundits and people saying things that I agree with about City that they are lacking that kind of final ball. It seems a bit of a mentality issue there. Guardiola's had to rely on a lot of players this season because they can't just keep buying millions every single time. But a lot of players are sort of letting them down a wee bit, and they'll definitely need to do something in the summer and bring some new I, in and change it around. I have no way of sort of proving this, but I just got the impression watching them yesterday, the result actually didn't matter that much to them. I mean, clearly, the, I know you can see that afterwards, but the title's gone. Yeah. And it felt like they wanted to score goals. They wanted to play well. But there wasn't that just little bit of percent that mattered. That's I think it's like that little just, two, three percent of difference that makes them what they were before, and it's just not. Yeah, in it, it almost felt like you were watching like the, the Harlem Globetrotters, where they're there to entertain you. They are there to sort of score goals and look amazing. They weren't necessarily there to win, which kind of sounds stupid, but it just it just didn't seem I mean, to have that edge. There's like yeah. even individual examples I can think of that exact thing where, um, like, the, like the first goal is a is a corner. They've got 10 men at a time, sure enough, so it's hard to get into your, your right shape. But the ball goes short, it goes back to the edge of the box, and then City players are just slightly slower to go towards a man on the ball than they usually were. And then when Bergvine, Bergvine gets his uh, gets his chance to test it, there's just a little bit of space beside him that wouldn't normally be, I think, if they're all revved up. And uh, they like Otamendi'd making that stupid error for the second goal, yeah. stepping out when he shouldn't have done. Just little individual errors. He's been doing that all season. Yeah, there's like less concentration all over the place. I don't know what. Have they got a Sterling issue? Well, this is just before anything. I guess it goes to show you how amazing certain coaches are, and uh, so Alex Ferguson or whoever that can continue to motivate a squad every single season, even if something is too far gone. But there's, there's, no, yeah, there's yeah. no, there's no, 
There's a reason why no one's done it three times on the trot. Mm-hmm. Ferguson didn't do it three times on the trot. Well, but uh, Zidane did it with Madrid in the Champions League for three times in a trot. And that's yet, not a league season. Uh, yeah, knockout's different in a league. Yeah. Mm, Champions League is harder. But this is one <laughs> question that I will have for you, Sam, is you're saying there's a Sterling problem. Mm. Why? I think that's now eight games without a goal. He could have been sent off yesterday. Probably. Do you think he should have been? I think, yes, probably should have been. Uh, and then even the the chance that Gundogan put over when they had the open goal, the sort of calamitous one when everyone sort of hit each other and fell over. Um, it was a really poor pass at like a, a key moment. And that's something that he's really sort of ironed out of his game in the last two years. At those decisive moments, he tends to deliver. And I think in the last couple of, well, last six weeks or so, that seems to have evaporated. I mean, the suggestion that he's uh, just played too much, which may well be the case, but Pep's uh, very much strongly refuted that. But uh, it does seem like there's an issue with with his form, uh, at least. He lost think- his confidence for that goal a little bit because he, he, he must know that he misses these easy chances. They don't seem to come natural to him scoring open goals even. That seems to think he's not good at. He's really good at taking people on, driving at teams, pushing them back, using all his space and doing his little tricks and that. But when he gets into positions to score, like I remember we were talking about, was it this season or last season when Bernardo played in his place on the left and scored a hat-trick? Mm. It's, like, it's, not, it's not just that Sterling's really... He's a, a great player, but uh, it's a lot to do with the position he plays in and the way that team works around him that they get all these goals. And you see him just now, he doesn't seem to trust his shot, his final shot to actually score and then will look for the pass first instead. So they're often giving up opportunities when they should just be sticking it in. Like, they, they, what is it someone was saying yesterday about how it's almost like how Arsenal became in a while. They, they got so used to passing and tip-tap-tap that they forgot they actually had to use the passing to get to a certain point to shoot. Sam's just pointed out Man United did win the league three times on the trot. Mm. So I've got to uh, I've got to offer you a fulsome apology there, Mina. Thank you very much, and Sam, especially thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> um, I didn't want to call you out on air. So <laughs> <laughs> I call myself out on air. Oh, but he's happy to call me out on air yeah. when it does. But you know, again, mm. <laughs> never mind. Um, it's I just be... want to ask you if Go he's on. all in now on Champions League, Pep. He said he is. He pretty much said he is. Um, after he said the, if after he doesn't match. win it, he would have been a failure. I agree with him, but you obviously don't. <sighs> Failure is such a harsh word for someone <laughs> no, who's done a, what he's done. Yeah. It is such a harsh and word. He's, and he's saying that he he knows he'll be judged like that, which is true. He's not saying he is a failure. I don't think he thinks he's a failure. He doesn't win it. He, yeah, he I wants agree. to win it. But it's like people will say, like the media, us, will say that he's he has failed as is, is, is I do think... Um, I think progression is important. Mm-hmm. But I think that's all that one expects. I think 22 points behind Liverpool is poor. There shouldn't be 22 points behind Liverpool. I mean, when, when Man United... Uh, I'm going to get another Man U stat wrong now, aren't I? When Man United finished second under Jose, were they 19 points behind? And everyone, everyone mocks the fact that Jose sort of called that, you know, a bit of a title challenge and the fact that they finished second. It was never a title challenge. And being 22 points behind now is not a title challenge. They haven't challenged for the title this season, which, given the resources and everything, they're allowed a season off. They're allowed not to win the title every season. But I think 22 points behind is embarrassing for them. I really enjoyed your exchange with Pep yesterday during the press conference. Yeah, well, I'm getting yeah, I'm getting different reactions to that, I should really? say. Yes. Manchester City fans seem to think I've been disrespectful for Pep for asking him to verbalize his answer rather than just nod his answer. I should say it was all done in the midst of a bit of a joke. Yeah, I watched it on the on I watched the video back and I thought that was quite Some of the video jovial. cuts it Can quite Can you explain short. what happened? Yeah. So happened. so what happened? I asked four questions at the press conference yesterday. I asked a question on uh, Jose saying Sterling should have been sent off. 
and Guardiola refused to answer that. I then asked him, um, okay, so you're not, I don't want an answer on Jose's reaction, but can you give me your opinion on the Sterling incident? He didn't want to answer that. Fine. I then asked him about Sterling's injury um, and he said he couldn't answer that. So I was kind of having a bit of fun now because I was kind of saying I'm still owed a question here because I don't really feel I've got an answer. So I was hugging the microphone. I said, right, I want one more question then. So then I asked him if he's conceding the title and he smiled and gave me this kind of wide-eyed look and nodded his head at me. And I hadn't had an answer up till now and I needed something to write in the paper. So I said, can you say it rather than just nod it? I can't quote a nod. <laughs> And people laughed, and he seemed to smile, and he gave me a good quote. You know, he gave me a good quote that Liverpool were unstoppable. He's quite good about these things, usually, yeah. And I thought it was all very light-hearted and all, all very nice. And then, as I say, Manchester, some Manchester City fans have seen it and, and taken it as disrespect, and it certainly wasn't meant as any disrespect. Okay, let's move to the <laughs> other half of the table. Um, Bournemouth now with back-to-back league wins. Mm. Uh, they did manage a win over. It was Aston Villa who let's let's be honest. JJ, league you Cup finalists, Aston Villa. Yes. <laughs> Although JJ, you league believe Cup that there's a Aston Villa. <laughs> league Cup finalist, Aston Thank Villa. You. Now, JJ, you think that there are a potential side. There are a side that could potentially go down. Is this something that we we should applaud Bournemouth for, or is it just Villa? <laughs> uh, well, I'm just trying to annoy them. you. I mean, they're roughly in the same. Well, they're next to each other in the table. So if you play, if they those two teams played each other ten times, it'll be a different result each time. I would have thought they're not. I don't know what to make of it. They're, well, they're I, fine. I was, I was there. Okay, I enjoyed Tell it. Us yeah, you about know. It. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Bournemouth played quite well. They, uh, particularly in the first half, they really played with an intensity and energy which they've been lacking until they beat Brighton a week ago. And they're a very streaky team, Bournemouth. They always have been under Howe and they sort of go for these funks where they go about eight games without winning and then will put three or four wins together and suddenly bounce up trouble again. And I think they're in the midst of that. I mean, they've got their players back from injury. They had so many injuries before Christmas and they're all coming back slowly. So they're sort of just sort of reverting to their mean, I think. Um, the... Do you think they'll survive? Yeah. Yeah, I think they will. Um, Villa, I'm less sure about I thought Villa were quite poor in the first half and it was just, uh, I know this is, this is not controversial and Matt has seen them far more than me, but it was quite striking just how much everything went through Grealish. Like they, no one else offered anything at all going forward. And I looked at that and thought, I hope it's not like this every week because it was just like more than I've seen it all season was their one, you know, reliance on one player. Um, and then second half, Lerma got sent off pretty early on in the second half, and they didn't really create enough chances from that. You'd expect them to do more um, in the well, in the subsequent 35 minutes playing against 10 men. They didn't really. They've create lost much. three times to 10 men this season. Mm. Which Are is you worried, really, Matt? Really annoying. Uh, yeah, I am. I've been sort of worried for ages. Um, it's going to be close. It's going to be really tight. But I think that well. They still average a point again. I said at the start of the season. I don't think I said it on here, but I said it somewhere. I said. That, the best they can probably hope for is a bit more than averaging a point a game. They've averaged a point a game at the moment. If they continue on that, they'll have a chance. If you get 38 points, it's going to be a high points total this season that goes down. If they ended with 38, they'll have a chance of staying up. They've got a good record against teams in the bottom half, haven't they? Not away from home, though. That's the point. Their away form shocking, absolutely shocking. But they seem to beat teams around them at home. At home, they do. I mean, they've... They've all got tough run-ins. It's going to be. I just think it's going to be really tight. I actually think Bournemouth will will yo-yo back and forth between being in the back in the bottom three. 
I think that that sort of bottom five are the bottom five now in in various different orders until the last game. Should we be worried? Should we be worried about West Ham because they've got a really tough fixture list coming up, and they threw away three points against Brighton. They're facing Man City, Liverpool, Southampton, Arsenal, Wolves, and Spurs coming up. How much trouble are they in? Loads, massive mm. trouble. Um, that was a terrible result for them at the weekend having led 2-0 and 3-1 because that that would have been a huge win all I would say to give West Ham fans a bit of hope is quite traditionally over the last few years they they are a club and a team who tend to go and pick up a result against a big a big team I mean they went to Stamford Bridge this season in terrible form and somehow beat Chelsea Um, I remember the year they went to Old Trafford and either drew or won to stay up Um, they've got this history of they, won a, they were the first team to win at Tottenham's new stadium last season. They've got this weird history of suddenly picking up results against big clubs. So that's a bit of hope for them. Um, but I'd be really worried if I was away. It does time. feel like remarkable that like they're so reliant on players like Antonio Snodgrass and Mark Noble still. I mean, given the amount of money they've spent and the players they have. I mean, that squad on paper, and you guys might disagree, but that for me, that squad on paper is good enough to be challenging for seventh or eighth. Yeah, if I agree. Not, if not... For the top six to an extent but you look at it and like this weekend it's like okay we're relying on Snodgrass and Antonio and like where, where, all these money all this money you spent all these players you brought in what what are they doing where have they gone why are they so rubbish you know is this like I know there's like a, an inbuilt problem at the club that players just well for instance they bought Haller for a club record and yet they've played him up front on his own all season yeah. now despite the fact that he came from a club in which that, that was never done I don't think he's ever played on his own up front He's either always playing a two or a three. So um, he struggled and the system clearly doesn't suit him. So it doesn't look like a lot of thought has gone into that no. signing. And Yarmolenko. And, yet, and also, when you say they've spent, you know, when they've brought players in, they've got no other strikers. Their squad, sometimes you can look at their squad and think they've got a much better squad than, than their position in the table. And yet it's such an imbalanced squad. It's ridiculously. They're defending, to be honest, that I'm most shocked at all the time. Um, I find their defending to be their fullbacks are appalling. Really, really bad. It's really bad. They never sought that out. I mean, they didn't get a right back in January, which really surprised me. What about Watford, JJ? Do you think the Nigel Pearson effect is wearing off? No, I think they'll be. I think they'll be fine. It's just Everton are another of these teams that should be doing better than they are. Watford, I think, will get out of that little hole, and. I mean, it was set pieces that let them down in this game. Yerimina got two, and you'd think that Pearson would address that and get them forward. I think a lot of them are playing really well. Dielafeu, that I say, you say his name, isn't it? I'll get, well, I'll get oh, Dielafeu, whichever it is. Bergwijn. Bergwijn. I like all these names. <laughs> he, uh, they just look really nice. I think it's interesting that since Troy Deeney has come back, that coincided with when Pearson came in, and that makes a huge difference to how they play. They've got a, a kind of physical threat up front, which is... I mean, for the start of the season, they were playing players like Andre Gray, they were playing uh, Roberto Pereira, they were playing uh, Danny Welbeck, just players who can't lead that line on their own. They're just not good enough, like flat out, they're not good enough. And uh, if they're not good enough to score whatever, they have to at least offer something. And uh, Dini gives them not only a goal threat, but also like, defenders hate him. And they get mm. they get close because they're worried about what he's going to do, and then he bullies them, and that creates space for someone else. And they're just much better in attack straight away, which makes them better defensively as well. So although although they lost to Everton, it's just those little errors that set pieces them out. It they might have been okay. They'll be all right. What about Burnley, Sam? I thought that was a great point against Arsenal. 
Should have been three. Should have been three. Absolutely. Well, yeah. This is my question. So, would you say they're safe, or would you include yeah. them in the bracket of no, potential? No, no. I think I think Burnley are safe. They currently got the same amount of points as Arsenal, um, which, <laughs> which is quite indeed. We're, we're not discussing Arsenal in the relegation game. battle, but uh, maybe we should be. Um, it was terrible. I watched it. I watched it and just like sort of tried to tear my eyes out it was dreadful completely but, um, pointless watching it <laughs> it was awful like, it was one of those where you sort of want I... to stop watching but you think if I stop watching something might happen and then nothing does happen and you just regret yeah. throwing away two hours of your life um, <laughs> they were they were. I mean they were really bad for 20 minutes Burnley and Arsenal quite good and then it flipped for an hour and then Arsenal finished quite strongly the last five minutes but I mean watching that it felt to me like two mid-table teams just having a mid-table game at the end of a busy period quite tired in a windy day when it wasn't great pitch conditions and they just sort of meandered to a draw. Talk to me about Mikel Arteta because I haven't seen as much of Arsenal under him as you obviously mm. and as an outsider looking in and as quite a critical outsider he's won one game and I don't, from an outside just from looking at results and the odd bits of highlights and stuff, I don't really see much difference. See okay, the there is definitely... There's definitely a difference in terms of performance and style and structure and actually having a plan. Um, Arsenal keep drawing games and they kept drawing games before. They've actually lost the same number of games this season as City and Leicester. They don't lose that often, but they don't win enough either. They're pretty much just relentless drawers. They've got 13 draws this season, which is remarkable. And when they were drawing under Emery at the start of the season, so Watford away, you think of Southampton at home, they were drawing games that were totally chaotic and you'd, you'd leave thinking, how do they get a point out of that? Now they're drawing games that are far more balanced, if not slightly more in Arsenal's favour. So the, the draws feel different. Although Burnley should have won. Draws. Well, Burnley should have won. Yeah, that was, that was I thought, Burnley were a better team. But there have been other games under Arteta where they've played quite well for quite long periods, which they never really did under Emery at all. Chelsea so, was pretty chaotic. Yeah, they're 10 men for... Hour. I know, I'm just, these are the no, games that I'm seeing, I'm just presenting. What he's definitely done is fix the defence. That's definitely true. Mm. They're conceding way less goals, way fewer goals, um, and they're looking far more solid as a as a structure. But he's not got their attack to gel at all, and he's playing a Bamiyang left, and Lacazette's having a nightmare. Let's move, let's, let's move to Chelsea, because um, we should just rattle through the rest of the games. Um, Rudiger scores two. Do they need a striker? No. That was a really interesting game because on Friday, Lampard made it very clear he was unhappy with how January had gone. Then he drops the world's most expensive goalkeeper who Chelsea... What did you think of that, actually? Well, just let me finish. Then he drops Kepo, the world's most expensive goalkeeper. Then he, when he makes a substitution, he doesn't bring on Batshuayi. He um, reverts to a false nine. It all felt a very pointed 24 hours. Very sort of Antonio Conte-esque or something like that, or Jose Mourinho-esque. It, mm. it really felt that he spent that, that 24 hours making points. What was the point? Uh, the point was that he wanted uh, some signings from January and didn't get them. And so, you know, he was going to demonstrate that maybe he didn't have the resources he felt he needed. JJ, is Henderson the world's greatest midfielder? He is... Fundamental to Liverpool, which is one of the best teams I've ever seen play. Uh, he's not the best midfielder, but yeah, he's essential. It's kind of he's one of those players that is not technically the best, but yet he is absolutely good enough to play for one of the top teams. He just makes other one other people around him much better. He's a captain. 
So, so he's good for Liverpool. Yeah. Is he going to be really great for any other team, or is it more of a Liverpool? I don't think he'll lead England to glory, but I think because he's surrounded he's by so many England, good players, man. he is important for yeah, England. Yeah, because he, he brings that same mentality that you need. But England don't have good players as Liverpool do, and they don't play as nice football. But he's surrounded by amazing talent. But he is the guy in the centre of it all that keeps it all hooked together. Like if he's not there, I don't know what what happens. He's he's. Klopp talks falls apart. I think he's I think he's brilliant, Anderson. Klopp talks a lot about principles and how Liverpool success is built on having the same principles. And when you bring in a youth team player or Curtis Jones or whatever, they have the same principles. And I think Henderson is the most obvious sort of on pitch leader of those having those principles. I think he is in the in the whole. There's not many like him. He's quite old school. Mm-hmm. He's got that kind of John Terry attributes of captaincy he's, he's very sort of old school captaincy you know leading from his character as much as his uh, performance and then a team of I mean, leaders, Man City having this this is a huge thing with City having lost company yeah. City just don't really seem to have have that and while while people would laugh at you to say kind of say that you know Jordan Henderson would improve City certainly his leadership would what about uh, United? They don't have a Henderson. They don't have very much uh, of any sort of leader really in the middle. But they do have Fernandez. Do you guys have any good first impressions from him? It was 0-0 against Wolves. I don't really get the... Uh, this is this is based on seeing him twice last season in the Europa League and didn't do anything. So I was kind of a bit nonplussed by the, by the signing. Um, as we know, United's problems run a lot deeper than one or two signings. And I think he's clearly an improvement on Andreas Pereira. So that's that can only be a good thing. I but think you're an improvement on interest. Period, <laughs> to be fair, so. But the uh, the uh, the deeper malaise is is not going to stop, and the uh, the evidence of the transfer window, and in particular the last two days of the transfer window, only sort of shone a further light on the problems at the top of the club. Oh, the transfer window is exactly what I want to talk about. Just but. Before we move on, well done to Chris Wilder, Sheffield United, yet again. What a legend. Hello, football fans. My name's Danny Boyle, and I'm the Telegraph's Commuter Editions editor, which means it's my job to provide you with great journalism that makes your journey to and from work as enjoyable as possible. I can't prevent train delays or guarantee you won't get caught in the rain, but I can make sure you're up to date with the best of The Telegraph every morning and evening. My colleague Chris Price and I produce briefings to bring you up to speed in just two minutes at both ends of the day. Now, they're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search The Briefing or follow the link in the show notes to this episode. Okay, so this was an interesting transfer window because it was non-interesting in many ways. The lowest spend in the Premier League since 2010. Now, we were hoping for lots of action at the last minute and there were some things, but are clubs generally being more responsible now over the winter market because there aren't these wonderful bargains to find? Well, the market's mental. I mean, you're paying something like £50 million for Bruno Fernandes, who's yeah. probably a £20 million player. Well, Harry Maguire is a set. What's, what did it cost again? £80 million or something. Mm. This is made up. You can't stand. You can do with it. You've got players like Joe Ellington's forty million. He's a fifteen twenty million pound player. It's just kind of broken. So there's no value. And if you look like Lampard's annoyed with players who didn't get in at Chelsea. I'd imagine that their business people there looking at it would go, well, they're in fourth. We're probably going to be able to finish fourth here. It starts maybe out of reach. Is it really worth investing the one hundred million it takes to get anyone better than what we've already got in to to stay in the same place? It doesn't make financial sense. There's no no way to do it. 
And then a lot of teams are reverting to relying on things like coaching and their youth academies, which they've also spent hundreds of millions of pounds on. So I don't the know mar- what you're supposed to do in the market. In the, the market was stuck as well. It's completely mm. stuck. It was stuck at the top end because I think JJ might have spoken about this before. The, the, the wages that the top clubs now pay make it so difficult to sell players. Like you look at the Cavani, no mm. one could go near that Cavani deal because his wages were just like yeah. astronomical. So the market the stu- at the top end gets stuck on the wages. And then the other problem that the Premier League had for January was that there are so many clubs um, still fearful of relegation. Even, you know, your Newcastles, they're not going to sell players and they're not going to sell players to each other. So that's half the league who won't sell players to each other. So the market just gets absolutely stuck. Let's peel the onion that is Chelsea. Um why didn't Lampard get the players that he want, wanted? Well, they started the window wanting sort of long-term targets um, and real kind of stellar targets, people like your Timo Werners, your Jaden Sanchos, and they quite quickly realised they just weren't going to be able to get them in January. Then, as we got to the final two Why, weeks, is it financial? No, well, I'm, I mean, yeah, if you bid £200 million for Jaden Sancho, you'd get him in January. But for... Any sort of half, well, not sensible price, but half acceptable price, that you, you just couldn't buy them. Um, you couldn't buy Jaden Sancho for 100 million in January, put it that way. Is, um, he, is, is Chelsea the place that like players would want to go to, such as Jaden? Jaden Sancho certainly would. He's got a lot of friends at, at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would, he would kind of play every week, and you know. Um, but, and then they, they entered the last two weeks and they sort of changed strategy a little bit and decided to start looking at different places in the market, like your Cavani's, like your Dre's Mertens. Um, and there were just different reasons. They just couldn't they couldn't physically do it. And then where I thought they showed some intelligence and like they have progressed slightly as a club is at the end of the window, they were starting to get offered people like Igalo, Rondon suddenly got offered to them very closely. And in past windows, they've signed Patos, Falcao's, Higuain was a bit different. Um, and they've panicked and gone for those, and it's been a waste of time. And they didn't panic this time. Now, Lampard, understandably, is is not happy that they've done nothing, and I get that. I also get from the club's point of view that they're saying, if we can't get our top targets, let's wait, let's do what Liverpool did on Van Dijk, and mm. we'll take the criticism, and we'll take the gamble that it affects this season, and for the short-term pain, hopefully there'll be some long-term game. What they've got to do now, though... What they've absolutely got to do for Lampard, this is what I think has to be the trade-off, is they've got to do business early in the summer and let him have pre-season with players and sort of reward him, as it were, that way. Well, it sounds all very clever to me. What about United? Uh, first, uh, kind of seems all over the place. It was first John King, now Gino Gallo. I quite like it. So, it. Well, the reason I like it... A lot of people I know actually like it as well. Uh, it's um, it's not going to change. You know, like, Solskjaer are sticking to this plan. They're, they're building long. Bruno Fernandes, they've looked at it for a long time. I think I've read that they were looking at him in 2015 even. The, uh, but Joshua King used to play for Man United, so mm-hmm. he's got a vested interest. He's also not really played it. Um, a level above Bournemouth so that would be a huge step up so that would be the kind of player that you want to get in that mentality where you're driving to try and you know you're now at your pinnacle now you go somewhere uh, and Igalo is a Man United fan 
So again, we'll play for more than just the money. So this is the kind of thinking. <laughs> oh, this, this is what I think Solskjaer's thinking. On. He's trying to break, put a culture in, and that Jeez. must be part of the scouting. So that all the players in the world—they haven't scouted it, Carlo. They wanted to, if they if they'd scouted it, Carlo. They wouldn't have gone through the, with four hours to go of the transfer window. Honestly, they, they probably have gone the football who, manager list and then seen like who sports Man United, who's playing striker, who's playing the Premier League, who's scoring the Premier League. He was highly rated before he went to China. He scored one goal in eighteen Premier League appearances his last season for Watford in the Premier yeah. League. He's 30 years old and he comes from a country which is currently in lockdown because of coronavirus. I mean, there are so many reasons not to buy this player. Let's point this out. They came, he played in the African Cup of Nations. He was top scorer there with five goals, even managing more than the likes of Mane. Um, top scorer in that in that tournament, uh, got Nigeria to third place. Maybe there's something in it. I don't, I don't think he'll necessarily be a bad signing for them, but the fact that they've had to go to him on the last day having known since about April or May last year that Lukaku was leaving, yes. is absolutely remarkable. And for a club that supposedly looked at more than 800 right-backs before buying Wan-Bissaka, trying to sort of present themselves as this, you know, all-encompassing <laughs> strategy and scouting no, network. Mm. I mean, is it, is it, it, it as, just screams incompetence to me. Yeah, it, I uh, do agree with that. But is it like as it. incompetent <laughs> as... Um, what do you guys make of Cedric to Arsenal? Oh, I, I, I actually think this one is quite... I know it's very unsexy and unglamorous, but mm. I think it's quite sensible. He's only really? on about 65 grand a week. The loan fee is less than £1 million. He can play right back or left back. Yesterday, Bukayo Saka got injured. They need a left back. Mm-hmm. They're short in the fullback positions. Arteta wants specialists there rather than converted midfielders. And that seems to tick all those boxes for me. And he's not going to cost any money in the summer if they want to get him. If they don't, they can tell him, thanks very much, go away. Is he on loan? He's on loan. Is his le- knee, knee ligament not a... Uh... Yeah, he's out for like two weeks. Yeah. That, that, that one makes more sense to me. The other one Arsenal brought in was Pablo Mari, the centre back, which um, I would suggest is a bit more. Um, uh, what's the word? Rogue go, move. A bit more rogue, yeah. I mean, right. this guy has basically had four good months his entire career. He was sold by Man City for a million pounds last summer. They, they didn't see much value in him. So I think that one's probably more. Uh, uh, let's see what happens with that one. <laughs> let's see, indeed. Meanwhile, let's have some European music. Okay, this is the part where I talk to myself, guys, but I'm going to try to bring it in with you. Um, the talking point over the uh, the weekend was Madrid won over Atletico Madrid. Um, it's been interesting because Real Madrid now find themselves at the top of the league, three points ahead of Messi's Barcelona. They're a side that uh, fell apart last year, had three different coaches, obviously, but Zidane is really getting the best out of his kids. Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, Valverde, name it, and he's done it. And yet the headline news was Gareth Bale was left out of the squad for this game. And lots of people were talking about this. I don't know whether it was Marco or As, but one of, the, one of the writers on it said it would be very irresponsible to include Bale in this because... You know, once again, Bale, it doesn't look like he's very committed to the cause. And he played a game in the Copa del Rey, got a minor strain and then hasn't really been playing since. And they want to focus more on the players that seem to be wanting to die for the shirt than a guy who just seems to maybe perhaps 
go out or not really care so much about what's going on in Real Madrid. So it's interesting. Uh, either way, I don't know how much we should really criticise Zidane. Zidane said, said that he's relying on him for the rest of the season, that he really believes in Bale. Uh, but at the same time, it seems like he also doesn't want to give him too much headline news and yet he continues to steal them. Another player, like Matt mentioned, another player trapped by his wages. Not trapped, but he's not going to go anywhere because of his wages. Yeah, he's really suffering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, traps yeah. very much. Should he, yeah, should he take the pay cut and just move Earns somewhere more every else? day than I will my entire life. <laughs> Bunkered mm. by his wages. Mm. Lukaku, meanwhile, is having the time of his life at Inter. He uh, scored a brace. There was no Latara Martinez because he's out for two games after getting a red card. Um, Inter are still three points behind Juventus. Juventus, of course, do have Ronaldo, who scored in his ninth Serie A game in a row, which is a, a record for Juve. Only Trezeguet has hit. So he's matched that record. But we know that he's capable of even more. P- questions are being asked of whether or not he's found his groove with Maritza Sari. I don't think that's what it is. I think that he's fit again. And so he's happy to show off his, his ability to I don't play the game, I guess. But as for Sari, there's still tons of question marks because they won over Fiorentina with a 3-0 victory. But it was two penalties by Ronaldo. Yes. Did Inter Milan sign a striker in the end? No, they didn't. Wow. And then Martinez gets injured. Martinez isn't injured. He's, oh, he's got a red suspended. card. Sorry. Yeah, suspended. So, so he'll be back. Sanchez will be back. No, I know. I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking it through in my head. Conte will be going bonkers that they didn't get a striker, and then Martinez. It's okay, is he's out. got loads of ex-Premier League. No, players. I know, I know. We've just, we've discussed this load. <laughs> I'm just kind of thinking out loud. But Lazio wanted Giroud too, so it was like this very interesting thing. With well, Inter Giroud. Milan, I mean, we talk about the English clubs who didn't get strikers, but Inter Milan had been trying for strikers, mm. didn't get one. Barcelona didn't get a striker, did they? They so, didn't get Richarlison. Um, yeah, I'm not mm. sure that was ever really happening, was it? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so the European clubs seem to have had similar problems to the English clubs. Yeah, it's, it's are, been there hard. Aren't many stri- Jason Burke wrote a column on this. Yeah. There, are, there are not many strikers around. There just aren't many I'm interested to see how Piontek does in the Bundesliga. Obviously, obviously, we, the best striker who moved in the market was Haaland. Continues to score non-stop for, <laughs> yeah, Bundes- crazy, uh, for Borussia Dortmund. I mean, if there was ever a match made in heaven, it was the team that's been desperate for the skills of somebody like a Haaland. You know, a proper number nine. And they got exactly what they're looking for. And they're reaping the benefits. He's chosen a perfect league, a perfect club for him. And you can see that, but sadly not everyone can have this match made in heaven. How long do you reckon it'll be till he goes then? I think they could get a massive bid in the summer. Yeah. Apparently his his release clause comes in in 2021 or something like that. So then he would be able to sign him for 70 million, I think something like that. But that would mean he gets a season and a half, right, in Bundesliga, and then he can go for all the money. I could still see someone bidding more than that this summer. Yeah, I'd bid 100 if I could. I mean, I, I don't know why every single top club wasn't like really really in for him I think no every were. single top club was I, think I know were. Juventus were right, Chelsea okay. were I mean I wish I'd have known it at the time to write I didn't yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do know it now no, a, a lot in but he he's clever if he's they like were all burping. actual bids and, and the Salzburg took less money than they could have got from someone else was it release clause that he got to Dortmund that they matched 17 million or something like that really the, the Raiola thing's huge as well I mean we've got to be careful what mm. we say on here but in terms of how you deal with Raiola is a massive part of whether you get that player. It's probably all I can say. That is uh, interesting. That is indeed true, which is why you should always keep all the agents very happy. Meanwhile, let's move on to the social question. 
So after his loan to Newcastle was agreed, Danny Rose declared delight at the move north as there's only one decent chippy in London. With that in mind, what is the best food you've had as a punter at the football? What is the one decent chippy you're talking about? London? I know loads. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't matter. Uh, well. Should maybe do a little bit of a list, you know, so that we can all like. Yeah. Or send it over to him. Richard has uh, come back with jelly deals outside Upton Park tube station. Was it an outpost of Tubby Isaac's stall on Commercial Road? Jellied eels. Mm. Not, not for me, Clive. Mm. I've never tried one. They might be delicious. Stephen says, I was working in the south of France a few years back and we went to watch the football non-league team. I don't know how to pronounce this name. Hires play. <laughs> Got a bottle of wine and cheese baguette for less than a fiver. Sun was shining too. Oh, France. That's what good. a beautiful country. Bottle of wine and cheese baguette. Mm, that's quite nice, no? That'd be great to watch football with that. Mm. I usually have a Kit Kat when I'm uh, in the middle of Turin because unfortunately they, the timings for dinner and lunch never coincide with when I'm free. Anyone else? <laughs> well, um, in terms of our best, there is a, genuinely, I've only been there once, there's genuinely an amazing fish and chip shop next to Grimsby Town's ground. Uh, Blund, is it still Blundell Park or is it called something else these days? No one knows. Um, what, do locations just change their names? No, well, stadiums. Oh, stadiums, sorry. It could be the you know, <laughs> mobile phone networking yeah. arena. Um, right, I see. Sorry. They've genuinely got an incredible, as they should, they're famous for fish and chips, but this this place, even though you know attendances aren't massive at Grimsby, or certainly weren't the day I went, the queue, the queue going down the road for this place was well worth it. There's a great jerk chicken place near Crystal oh, Palace, definitely worth visiting. Um, I feel like there are loads of like amazing like. Turkish if you go, places. if you go to the Midlands, always try to find somewhere with a Balti pie. They're pretty special. Just trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah, now. White I mean, Hart Lane had some great things next to it. Well, in our position as journalists, we're really fortunate to get food at the at the stadiums when you go into the through press. And some of the places are really, really good. Chelsea's uh, food de Leon is really decent. I thought I love a tawdry pie. That's all I need. You, all you need to watch the football is a pie in, in a bovril. That's it. Oh my god, this is no? like so depressing I got a for me. Pastel de nata in Lisbon last season. Uh, that wasn't really from the. That was like more for lunch. And sort of like went a to the game in the oh, evening, so it wasn't like a pre-game. Yeah, that was good. But the worst one I've ever had was in a Borisov, the Borisov Arena. I bought a. I thought it was a just a normal hamburger, but you know, like chicken burger is different color, mm. like slightly more like pale. Yeah, it was a bit like that, but it didn't taste like chicken. And what was it? I don't know because obviously the alphabet's different in Ukraine, so I literally have no idea what I ordered. Is it made with ninety percent real animal? I, I have no idea, my friend. But it wasn't chicken and it wasn't beef. And I still think back to that as the worst pre-match meal I've had in my life. So it didn't taste all that good, huh? Oh, no. Did you eat it all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> long, oh, cold night, long, cold night. Long, cold night in Belarus. <laughs> you, need to, you need your fuel. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> do they have pies in Italy? No. Well, I mean, I guess they do. They have to, right? I don't know. I'm asking you. Um... I've never eaten a pie, but in Italy it's Whatever. really weird. No. You've, you've never, never eaten, eaten a, a pie. pie. Are we still going? Yeah, you've never had any sort of pie in any country. No, I will never eat a pie either. Why not? The, the sheer look of it disgusts me. They're amazing. Me. Yeah. I know, they tell me this all the time, but I, I just can't bring myself to This is to worse than your revelation that you didn't know who Blur were. 
No, personally, you know very well I know who Blair are. But this is being genuine in the sense that I honestly have never had a pie. Uh, like if we the, brought one in for I've you, I've never had Bovril either. I just can't. Like, I just see these things and I just want to cry. It's but the same with gravy. It's I different have a thing if you watch gravy. people in like really cold places. Like in Aberdeen, you can't even feel your feet. And it's so cold, you can you don't know how to walk back to the car. And you have a bottle and a pie. It's great. It's if we so bring great. a pie in, will I you eat Russian it on I have Russian ancestry air? and I still wouldn't do it. <laughs> Even if I'm in the middle of this. We're yeah. not talking like pucker pie in a plastic wrapper. Yeah. We're talking like a nice pie. Like yeah, what like, kind of pie? Like a craft pie done by an actual bakery. Oh my God, no. I just like a nice chicken and mushroom. Can't. I like a chicken and mushroom pie. I also hate carbs. You have cake for breakfast every day. Yeah, but cake is not really carbs. Can we just cut off just on I hate carbs? That'd be a brilliant end. Thank you for listening. Contact the podcast, afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Subscribe to the podcast, search for Telegraph Audio Football Club. Thanks to Joel Grove and thanks to you, our listeners. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.